Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, and Indian. I've had conversations about life with people of every walk, and as I frame the South Asian experience, I seek out the stories of people and their purpose. And what they tell me over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Welcome to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar. And on this week's episode, we're joined by Urmila Nimbarkar, a Marathi actor, performer, influencer, and YouTube creator. And Prakash Amrutraj, an actor, producer, former tennis professional, and one of the popular faces of the Tennis Channel. Stay tuned. So as someone who grew up in Southern California, I actually heard a lot of Marathi language spoken in my household with most of these links back to the language and culture seen through the lens of my parents and my grandparents. So I've been thinking now about what that lens looks like, whether these connections are still strong for a different generation of content creators in the media landscape of 2020, and if there's a future development of cultural material that may offer the foundation for a brand new generation of Marathi speakers. My next guest, Urmila Nimbarkar, is an Indian actor and content creator who's helping to shape this. She's an influencer and a fashion and image consultant who's using social media platforms like YouTube and Instagram to create even more architecture with that Marathi media. She's been acting in film and television, but her YouTube channel, which offers her fresh perspective on lifestyle, fashion, and travel, presented completely in Marathi, has about 350,000 subscribers. We chatted recently, and while it may have been a different conversation if it happened purely in Marathi, it was comforting to know that even in English, this was the common link connecting us from different generations and from opposite sides of the planet. Mala Marathi bolala aikala vachala khub bara vatta pan aaj apan charcha English madhe karnar aahot meaning you know we're going to have an English conversation and for those of us who don't necessarily live in India when we sometimes hear uh, some of these Indian languages we feel a lot of comfort does it feel strange to have a, a pure dialogue in English at all for you? Or does that also have some level of comfort? Hmm. Yes, of course, of course. Because, see, um, I, I'll tell you a bit of my background. I come from the rural parts of India. Uh, so all those villages, they, um, everybody speaks in Marathi. So your thought process, the concept, your opinions, those comes first in Marathi, in your head. And with that, I had my full education in Marathi because yes. we had not even semi-English option available at that time. Um, so forget about the full English medium school and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, so the entire education till of course 10th, I was doing Marathi and consciously I took from 11th standard, I took um, arts but in the medium of English, English language. Hmm. Uh, hence, uh, it started developing and of course the inferiority complex and the people, those who give you the uh, stance and all, all that comes from that because everybody, you know, coming from the rural or village background from India and, um, uh, you know, um, 
adjusting or being a part of trying to be part of the city yeah. life is is always hard and for everyone who has done it and i'm sure even for you or you know um, um, for anyone to fit into a group which is you are the minority is always a struggle <laughs> well and it's interesting you say that because you know when i visit india my marathi is nowhere near being perfect and you can immediately tell from my accent that uh i actually am a foreigner so in some ways when i visit india uh i i do feel a little bit strange and out of place and I, so i can I appreciate that now all of your content all of your acting some of it is in hindi but the majority of everything is in marathi and yes. you know uh, by by design it, for the things that you're actually creating has that uh, is there an element of uh, cool to that because it's all exclusively in marathi and this is the audience you're trying to capture um okay so there are two three reasons why i'm doing this uh, first of all of course i'm comfortable with marathi more than any other language english or maybe even hindi or any other languages in india because that's my mother tongue just like i said my first thought comes in marathi then it translates there is a google translator in my head and then it translates <laughs> and of course over the years i have uh, been comfortable with other languages also uh, second thing is um, there is a huge population who has potential money interest energy time and of course problems they want solutions in their languages yeah so regional regional languages are so big in india and they are fully developed uh, there is a huge market gap which is there so me being comfortable with my language marathi and second there is a market demand for it everybody is creating content Uh, anything then that can be content on television traditional media films or even um, youtube or podcast anything is if they all create content in hindi or english that of course the reach is wider uh, yeah. you are creating for a you know, wider audience but at the same time there is a huge population um, which only speaks in marathi or rather they people who understand marathi they yeah. want content in marathi in their language so someone they can trust someone they can um, you know um, relate the yeah. most important thing is relate when you're creating content you have to be relatable you can't yes. be out of the world and you know and um, uh, catering those solutions to them which they have the problems or the uh, you know challenges they are facing and you might have those uh, answers Yeah. and in their languages that just rather no one taps on it i promote marathi content creators because there is lot of saturation also in english and hindi most of the content creators make content in english and hindi hence there is a lot of saturation there is very honestly unless or until you are doing something really different and putting out there your experiences and doing something right. experimental then it's different but uh, but in marathi because see the festivals are different and the culture is different the yeah. food is different everything is different and with that differentness you know <laughs> i don't know whether that is a word yeah. or not but yeah with that nobody is giving them solutions and what to do with those festivals those days anything yeah. it can be the recipe also and i want to create a modak yeah if there is no video on modak in marathi what i'm going to do for right. ganesh festival so it's Just almost like, like you're you're filling a, a great need Um, yes 
when you yeah. when you think about this though um is it more challenging or is it more difficult to be a trendsetter if it's specifically in a regional language does the market or does the uh competition make you actually be uh a little bit more inclined to morph or change to further advancing in hindi or english or other languages also that's a very good question by the way uh, yes there are there were a lot of there were times when i thought <clears throat> um some of the content for example travel Yeah. which doesn't need a gender or language it's everybody loves travel and everybody loves food not like fashion or beauty or technology but because i'm making content or travel videos in marathi there was a uh, there was a gap where you know i couldn't reach to other people so if a marathi audience doesn't want to go to croatia yeah. they will not watch my video Okay, right. so there is a huge audience who wants to go to such um, exotic places and those European uh, countries in a budget, and they want solutions. And that was my audience over there, a non-speak, non-speaking Marathi uh, crowd, you can say. Yeah. Hence, at those times, of course, I felt that, of course, if I would have made this video in English or Mara in Hindi, um, if It, it it could have you know get lot of views more than yeah. definitely more than these so there were such times uh, that is definitely there you can't deny the reality and the fact but at the same time uh, being a pioneer is very difficult because no one is creating content in marathi right now yeah so there are benefit there are pros pros and cons also so there are a lot of benefits whenever you are a pioneer you are setting setting up the market so um, first creating the market for it is is a challenge is a huge challenge sure. first mm. and second uh, there is no competition yeah okay. if you are really good if your content is good and of course you are directly co- competing with english and hindi content which is huge uh, the, at that time of course you need to be great i mean there yeah. is absolutely no uh, room for mistakes because right. you are doing it first of all in marathi uh different language so only the marathi speaking audience will watch your videos with that also marathi being in maharashtra mumbai is exposed to bollywood so a lot of hindi speaking people it's just mixed culture mumbai has sure. no culture multicultural city you can say just like new york yeah has, and it's beautiful so gujarati people are there north indians punjabi south indians everybody's there and beautiful different languages full of language and full of cultures um at that time you have to create a content which people will not shift or you know skip the video yeah. or turn off your they'll video. stay attracted to it yes yes so first creating a content very challenging second uh, being a uh, competitor to compete with hindi and english uh, language creators any anything podcast or video or anything and third and most importantly you can't make mistakes i mean yeah. you have to create content which is so good that um, i would love to share this i get so many comments of saying please please add english or hindi subtitles to your yeah. videos 
because we can understand a little bit of marathi and your content is so good so good that we want to watch this we want to understand this but we couldn't because of the pure uh, some of the vocabulary or words you're listening to trust me i know what i'm doing after a short break we'll come back to my conversation with urmila nimbarkar stay tuned This is Karen David, and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, and our conversation with Urmila Nimbarkar, as we chat more about some of the content that she's currently creating. You know, we watched uh, some of your videos on Croatia. And one thing I noticed was you're very serious, in fact, about being glamorous. But in a wonderful way, it doesn't seem like you take yourself too seriously, which is mm. great. And, you know, my question is, is that was, has this been true for you all your life? Is this kind of Uh, a genuine piece or is this have you been like this were you like this when you were younger uh tell us a little bit about that oh no the struggle is real <laughs> i was absolutely not like that one thing i was very much sure was i was a confident kid yeah because i have been brought up like that my brother is india's one of the youngest ips officer Hmm. so you can imagine the um, competition over here okay if you compare right. if you compare two siblings that's a that's a bad way to raise chil- ch- children by the way and my uh, thank god my parents didn't do that um, right. he was academically excellent yeah. i was not because being uh, being an artist i was always average i was not bad but i was always average someone who gets 70 to 80 percentage okay but not he was like out and out like 96 percent yeah. 99 he got 99 percentage right and i was because yes so so bright but my parents knew she's different than him yeah and we should you know uh, groom them accordingly Yeah. Uh, with their personalities and things so i was always the one who who were dancing doing drama theater um uh, interested in uh, extracurricular activities and things like that with that i had lot of confidence but what happens when you are uh, in the family your parents they support you they groom you whenever you are down they uh, they you know encourage you yeah. um, and you are also living in the rural area so you are kind of the one who's like best of uh, the, uh, the small group okay right. but uh, that's not how you taste your test yourself uh, yeah. so um, when i and when i was a teenager i could understand how um, this the world is working you know we shifted yeah. to just like i said city life is completely different i shifted to pune and after that uh, i still remember this uh, thank god you asked the question the, this interview started with language and culture and yeah. why i'm making content in marathi um, for 6 months my fellow students all uh, the classmates uh, didn't sit with me or talk to me or uh, had lunch with me just because i had this accent Um, huh. which uh, yes from vil- from village of course i was from village and for rural right. background i had 
I had this rural Marathi accent, not the perfect. There is no such thing yeah. as perfect. <laughs> Just beauty <laughs> lies in versatility. You know, yeah. that is why it's beautiful. There is a lot of variety. Someone doesn't speak like someone else. That is the beauty. You know. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there is like ideal Pune, Puneri Marathi, ideal yes. Mumbai's Hindi or Delhi's Hindi. That's just bad. And there's people try, uh, people try to make you fit into their boxes and their definitions. And if you doesn't fit, if you're different, you always have hard time. So yeah. that that is what ha- happened with me. But you know, I I took it in a good way. I took it in a positive, challenging way. And I was like, I will prove them that uh, one day I will teach them how to speak. How right. and this is what happened for for a yes for a schools gathering. I was the one who directed a drama, and I told those girls that how to. Uh, you know, say the dialogue and how to speak and um, how to act, and that and that was a huge uh, achievement, actually, huge huge achievement. So that boosted my confidence. But with that also, again in Ferguson College, the English came again because yeah. I was absolutely not fluent in English. I still feel that my English is absolutely not good, but I can at least convey my thoughts, uh, which is fantastic, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot. You need to say that because you are a host. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's difficult, right? Because you know, as someone who is trying to engender trust, as you said, right? Um, it's I don't. I think sometimes people feel that they can trust and relate even better when they know that someone is human and they know that they're vulnerable and they know yeah. that they are are more than just a you know, unreachable location that they actually have flaws. And so it's nice when, when people acknowledge that, that there's some imperfections about that. And, you know, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on Samarat Sangeet, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great way to um, showcase that you're human and probably people, you know, trust you even more for that. Yes, yes, I absolutely agree with you because I always thought why people are avoiding uh, this conversation or, you know, making me feel less because the way I'm speaking and that affected, of course, my mind, but I couldn't see being an artist. I I always had this fire to prove myself and not for others or anything. I always had this craving of performance, being an actor, you know, loving my craft. And, yeah. and I'm just not saying those things because those are fancy cliche words, but it's true. And with that, everybody has vulnerable moments and flaws. And, you know, that is what makes us beautiful. I, I honestly don't get it. Rather, I, I say this line all the time, imperfections are cute. Yeah. Nobody is like Urmila. Nobody is like yeah. you. Uh, and that is what is our asset. And I, I, I didn't want to lose it. Well, and, and the platform that you are using, right? I mean, if, if anything, the internet is the ultimate equalizer, right? There's so many people who use it. There's so many people who access it. And part of your uh, shows or part of your videos are providing advice, right? About lifestyle and tips and um, different ways to choose products, uh, uh, different ways to even use those lifestyle um, tips and implement them. Uh, is it hard to share your own advice when the goal is to help people make their own style at some point? Um, that's a very good question again. <laughs> um, oh, being an image consultant, there is, you, 
everybody's style is different everybody's body is different everybody's uh, profession is different um and everybody's background is different like cultural family the rules uh, norms those are all different so being an image consultant that's my huge asset a huge benefit that i am not saying people to follow me yeah i am advising people to know their body type their skin type their hair structure and then giving them advice according to their um, uh, what you can say requirements right. or image that is what image consultancy is image consultancy is nothing but a visual communication sure. whatever we are doing constantly whether you want it or not consciously or unconsciously we are doing it continuously so th- these are all visual signals we um, you know we are sending Uh, with the shapes lines colors designs texture patterns we are we are saying something constantly and yeah. the mind uh, human mind is grasping it and you know um, uh, your perception or your image actually been created in only 3 seconds whenever a person sees uh, looks at someone in 3 seconds they create this image yeah so that's yeah. not judging that's how the mind works yeah. it's not good or bad it's just science how sure. it works so i am absolutely not um, i'm i'm someone who's not even embracing the trends also not not celebrating mm. trends i i don't follow myself all the trends yeah only if that suits my body type skin type uh, my profession everything that is what i'm trying to say and you know what that is the secret of my youtube channel and instagram also why it's growing a lot yeah because i'm not putting out content which is already there on youtube i am actually sharing what the the knowledge or the philosophy or the concept which i have learned in image consultant you're listening to trust me i know what i'm doing after a short break we'll come back to my conversation with urmila nimbarkar stay tuned ata tarat zaluya tujha kharat aluya lai pirun banda varun kalti marun Hi, this is Vivek Tiwari and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar. Let's join in again on our conversation with Urmila Nimbarkar. as we chat more about her career and her future work. Well, and uh with that, you know, as someone who's had a background as an actor, um mm. how has this perhaps changed your trajectory of your acting career? Has it impacted it? Has it influenced it? Has it made it stronger? Has it changed how you feel about your acting career at all? Oh, a lot. Um first of all um, people compare platforms all the medias with each other theater comparing to films films are always being been compared to serials television right. shows but that's not how it works these are only platforms only mediums and artists should be um, you know in marathi they call how it <laughs> you know uh-huh. they're always greedy yes. yeah greedy yeah definitely greedy and they have to be there should be hunger to use every platform and make it your own you know put it, put out there something which you can do with that platform whether it can be instagram or television serial 
or anything i used to think whenever i used to sit and wait na i yeah. i always used not in the not while shooting na because that is of course the time which they need for to set up the light and everything sure between two projects between those projects while i was giving auditions and screen test and everything i used to feel that i am just sitting and i'm just waiting for someone to call me and you know right. to give me the role and i am not creating something i'm not a maker yeah i am at the most receiving end end of the spectrum you can say the Uh, then you you're not creating anything so i was yeah. like why I, why am i sitting at home and why am i just waiting yeah. i need to create something for myself and this is what the social media or digital world has created this internet there's lot of bad things also sure. it's like how you deal with it you know it's all yeah. about you you can go crazy you can uh, you know just like you become alcoholic or the drug addict just like that you can become an yeah. addict and you can just consume content or you have a choice and you can create a content yeah let me ask you this speaking of creating content speaking of empowerment speaking of influencing you have a new podcast that's come out um uh called the urmila podcast or the urmila show uh yes. tell us tell us a little bit about your new podcast oh uh so this is a very special project uh I have realized there is a gap between the market that nobody is speaking about our daily topics. Uh, very few YouTube channels uh, with the expertise uh, are available on YouTube videos uh, th- that platform. But all the other stuff that is on news or fiction, mm. television, web series, OTT platforms, those are full of fiction. Very few documentaries are there. but nobody speaking about uh, is the vegetable which i'm going to eat for my lunch and dinner is organic mm. uh, why do i feel so lethargic or dull is it just a phase or is it the start of something um, you know uh, a mental disease mm. that's depression uh, what if someone is extremely scared of corona that they are just you know uh, bathing themselves in the detol one of my friend is taking shower uh, with detol liquid mm. and losing her hair yeah that corona phobia yeah so so i wanted to bring um, experts absolutely experts doctors dietitians uh, psychiatrists counselors um, and you know uh, taking interviews and uh, um, you know touching those topics at least fundamental and basic uh, for at least an hour uh, that is audio format uh, on audio format on so storytel app yeah and you know bring out that gap especially for um, especially for women because yeah. nobody is creating content for women that's what i have realized not the daily soaps all the saas bahu daily soaps are not good content right <laughs> to learn from that's just for entertainment but everything else for day to day questions nobody is answering them especially for women how to do work life balance because of the corona yeah. situation uh, rather women are working more because everybody is at home everybody is working from home so their duties have uh, rise right they have to do double duty rather sure uh, how to deal with it uh, how uh, how to you know how to even cook food uh, when, yeah. uh, and looking at in a nutritious good way Uh, to change the approach behind it and you know not being 
uh, overweight or underweight and being obsessed mm. with your body being body positivity everything which is absolutely amazing topics much needed important especially for women the urmila show on storytell app every wednesday uh, urmila uh, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you and exciting uh, all of your exciting work many of the things that are continuing to influence lots of people and a lot of your fans thank you so much for joining us i hope you'll come oh, back and join you. us again Oh, definitely, and you're doing such a good job because the the title of this podcast is amazing. That actually, I love the most is. Hi, this is Seema Goel with Fab Life Three Hundred and Sixty. Listen to Rakas Avenue Radio at dashradio dot com and download the Dash Radio app for complete access, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week to our station. Because every story told is a lesson learned. Because every lesson learned is a story waiting to be told. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share stories about people and their purpose in the South Asian diaspora. And what they're basically saying over and over again is, "Trust me, I know what I'm doing." Listen every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific on RuckusAvenueRadio.com. While my next guest, Prakash Amritraj, already comes from a celebrated tennis family, his mindset, energy, and work ethic are what help him cherish this celebration and share it with many, many others. Prakash is an actor, a producer, a writer, and a motivational speaker with his "What's Your Code" philosophy. As a player, he was a U.S. Super National Junior Champion, played on the professional tour for over 10 years, and was India's top singles player for several of those years. He's a commentator and one of the most popular faces of the tennis channel. He also helped USC win a college national tennis title, which, as a Berkeley sports enthusiast, I wasn't so thrilled to admit or welcome. Prakash, welcome and thanks for being here. My pleasure, my pleasure. I mean, it's, uh, I've heard some great things about your show, so excited to, I guess, talk it's all, about it. It's all smoke and mirrors, please. Um, <laughs> no, and I and I have to admit, I I mean, you know, as you can see from my hat over here, I'm a Cal guy, so I'm not sure how I feel about uh, USC coming in the house here. So, you know what? I got love for uh, all other all other Pac-12 teams. There we go, <laughs> um, Prakash. You know, uh, obviously, right now we're in. Strange times, and we were just talking a little bit about how we've been able to develop relationships and do so in a digital world. You know, have there been any sort of hard-hitting lessons that that you've really discovered um, or have been surprises during this sort of COVID environment right now? Um, how how long is the show? How, 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 much, <laughs> right. how much time do we have? Oh man, I mean, I don't know where to start. Um, I think there's been a lot of lessons and growth. Uh, On the professional side, spiritual side, and the personal side. Yeah, and in that way, like you know, your your uh, childhood and your adolescence, definitely, you were in a, a household where sports and um, the legacy of your family and tennis was certainly looming large. Um, but a lot of times, I think I, what I've heard from a lot of people when they are reflecting on COVID is that it's forced them to pause, to reflect, and really understand, you know, who they are a little bit better. When you were growing up, did you find that because of that backdrop, that um, your motivation perhaps was different than say other kids or other teens or adolescents? Um, I w- I would guess yes, but it's impossible to know because I'm not. I haven't been in any of the shoots. Yeah, and 
you know, I'm very careful to, you know, say what someone else is thinking or so forth. Sure. I, you know, I've seen so many people do it. And I think that's just, it's so wrong because you just, you never yeah. know, you know, it's tough to compare. And, you know, I, I like, you know, all of us, you know, especially in our 20s, you get so caught up in comparing your journey and your life with someone else. And I think that's unfair to you. It's unfair to them. But uh, as far as myself, you know, I, I count myself about as lucky an individual as you can get. Because, uh, you know, if you, if you just take the tennis path, for example, which is the path that I chose to go down myself, um, my father wasn't an overbearing sporting parent that you yeah. see all the time. You know, right. he never forced me into it. He's the one who, you know, you can do what you want. And I think in doing that, I developed my own love for the game. And by nine years old, I was the one begging him to play at uh, 6, 5.30 in the morning before I went right. to school, come back and then play again. And I, just on a general note, I think that's really important for parents. You know, kids, they end up having so much more fulfillment, whether they're making mistakes or doing good things, if they're able to own those decisions on their own. Yeah. You know, so I think making my decisions on my own uh, is what sort of led me to the point I am now, which I'm so, so comfortable and happy with my motivation and why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, has that um, ability to be balanced for there not to have a dominant sort of force in the house of overbearing or even overshadowing um, in some ways, has that led you to be an even more, I guess, comfortable adult and be able to embrace this kind of new era that we're in with COVID and, and have that empathy that you're talking about? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the big lesson, if you want to take a giant macro lesson from COVID, it's everyone really needs to learn to be kind to themselves. You know, I, I certainly, speaking for myself, I'm, I'm uber hard on myself. Sure. You know, it's, it's always, oh, you, you could be doing more or you could be working harder. And I'm generally known for someone who works extremely hard, but I'm probably my, my toughest critic. You know, it can always be better. And I think this year has taught me a little bit, two things. One, to uh, be kind to yourself, give yourself a break, which, which you need. You need to have sympathy for yourself if you're going to, you know, have the heart, passion and love to be able to move forward in what you want to do. And two, something I struggle with on a daily basis still, which is to relax. Yeah. You know, a, a friend of mine asked me the other day, he was visiting from New York and he asked me, we were on the golf course, um, how much time do you take in, you know, where you're not thinking about work? And I, I literally thought about the question for a minute and I said, I actually can't remember the last minute that I did that. Yeah. Because if I'm not working, I'm on the couch, literally manifesting and planning and thinking <laughs> about, right. you know, about work. So it's, which I think is important too, which is, which is another, we can get into that. Yeah. But um, it's interesting. I think those are the two biggest lessons that I've learned for myself this year. Well, what you're talking about is the idea of pausing or even this idea that, hey, there, there need to be empty spaces um, in your life and that's okay. And I'm curious that, you know, for you, as you went through the sort of um, athletic process, right, as a high school athlete, a, a college athlete, a professional athlete, um, does the, we talked about the drive and motivation to win and succeed and excel. Does that change as you age as an athlete? Do you become more comfortable with those empty spaces and allowing for that time? Um, when, when you were asking that, uh, a bunch of different uh, thoughts came to mind. So I'll, uh, if I go off on a tangent, just, uh, you know, reel me in. We'll steer in, yeah. Uh, so 
empty spaces and pauses. Let's just talk about that for a minute. It's, it's something I'm not terribly comfortable with. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like we're all battling against time. Mm. You know, I feel like, especially now in my, I'm in my thirties, uh, time has gone by a lot quicker than it did in my twenties. You know, and when you were eight years old, nine years old, you remember staring at the clock. It took nine years to get to three o'clock, right. you know, and yeah. I know it'll keep getting faster. Um, let's take one of my greatest heroes. I, I, uh, I, I bawled all, all weekend when Kobe passed earlier this year. Yeah. He, uh, he meant a great deal to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you cut open my veins, you're going to find purple and gold, you know, Lakers and LA. So yeah. there wasn't a day that has gone by maybe in the last 12 years where I didn't either listen to one of his interviews, read some of his writing or look at a picture of him for inspiration. Like that's how much he meant to me. And when he passed, I was, it felt like a part of me died. Sure. And, you know, then later, you know, the movie Black Panther meant a lot to me and then, and then Chadwick passed away. Yeah. And all I think to myself is, you know, especially Kobe, this is a guy who would train three hours a day to get right. to where he was in his craft. A lot of people thought he was completely out of his mind. Yeah. And sometimes you don't hear the greatest things about him personally, right? Sure. But he challenged you to find someone who leaves a mark on this earth the way he did, you know? Right. So it's because of that. And even Chadwick, Chadwick had this disease for the last four or five years. And what he gave to the world by way of art and culture is it's unquantifiable, you know? I mean, completely. I mean, a movie like Black Panther made me almost as proud to be Indian as any other thing I could have possibly imagined. You know, that's such a crazy concept, but that's what it did. Now, he knew he only had that limited time and look how he sunk his life into what he did. It had such great meaning. So having said all that, I'm not great with pauses, you know, because we don't know. And, and I think, um, you know, with that, you could take someone like Kobe, who was um, driven and yes. so motivated by perfecting his craft. And, you know, for so many athletes, and I wonder if you have the experience and the um, ability to reflect on this, you know, when, when there is that demand physically of how that passion now reflects in, your, in perfecting your craft, as well as the psychological toll that that takes, for someone like Kobe, it actually drives him and fuels him and nurtures that, that passion even further. For others, does that translate to actually burning out faster? Um, is, there, is there a kind of a delicate balance between the two? Uh, for me, it all comes down to your, your why and your purpose. Yes. You know, I think that's maybe the most important thing any human being can figure out. Um, you know, I, I speak about it all the time, you know, my whole what's your code philosophy and it basically boils down to uh, your code, everyone's code, I feel is this sort of macro set of overarching principles. And when you have clearly defined and figured that out, it trickles into every little decision you make on a daily basis. You know, sometimes people ask, you know, how can you be so disciplined? You know, you're so rigid, you're so uptight. How, why don't you just take a break from what you're doing? But for me, that little thing that you see here uh, is because it'll help me do this, which will help me do this, which will help me do this, which then feeds into your why, it's, it's a no-brainer. You know, yeah. It's almost, if you're, in a, if you're in a burning building, or if you're in a building rather than ask you to jump off the second floor, you're going to tell me to you know, you know, piss off. But yeah. if the building is burning and your child is there, I promise you, you're going to find a way to jump off that second story and survive. Right. right. And that's an extreme case. 
but that's almost how I look at, you know, one's, one's code, one's why. And then you don't get burned out because yeah. you find a way. I think humans on a general basis are as courageous, resilient, brave, strong as you can possibly get, way more so than we actually give ourselves credit for. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a short break, we'll come back to my conversation with Prakash Amritraj. Stay tuned. This is Vijay Iyer, and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, and our conversation with Prakash Amritraj as we chat more about practice and preparation. When you think about that, um, and you think about the preparation that it takes to get to that point where you realize your code, um, how has your practice of that, or how is your thinking about that, how has that transcended between the sporting life and the business or the producer or the actor or the commentator life? Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, um, uh, so I'll just, I'll just take you back a minute. So I played pro from about, you know, 18 or so, 19, right after I left college, up until about um, my, my uh, late 20s, about 30 years old. I took a short break there when I started learning acting and really delved into the craft of that. And I became very close with Venus and Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with them and spend a lot of time with their parents too. Most yeah. notably, Richard Williams, who's just such a special individual. Yeah. And spending time with them you know, I realized that they, the values that are so important to them, family, and the reasons why they do what they do, it's, it's so strong and, and, um, and, and vivid, it influences everything else, you know? Um, so, uh, and that's kind of what I took away from them. Sure. So I, I thought, oh my gosh, imagine if, you know, I, I find that for myself and block out what everyone else is thinking, which is something that can cripple you you know, especially if you're reading the media all the time. You know, Indian, right. media, can, Indian media can be brutal yeah. over there, you know. So I started, you know, going down that path. And when I went back to the tour for about a year and a half before I shifted fully into entertainment, I literally would keep a journal. And my only purpose at that point, I mean, your code evolves, your purpose evolves, was, you know what, it's not even about results at this point. It's literally just to see how good I can be. God sure. gave me X amount of talent. How much can you maximize that? So it got even broken down into day by day. Have you done what you need to do to max out today? Mm. Can you do more tomorrow? Can you do more tomorrow? And that just kept evolving and evolving. And then you figure out more reasons why you want to do what you do. And I'd say I'm I'm 10 times more disciplined and mentally um, capable now than I was when I was playing. But you you know, most people wouldn't necessarily equate that, right? Because... They no. think that when you're playing and practicing and constantly on the court or, or as an athlete, that that, that discipline is, is natural. But it, it sounds like, I mean, it's counterintuitive, but maybe because you have the ability to, in fact, be you know, cognizant of that, that that's easier to actually fathom right now. Is that maybe why it, it's po- possibly so difficult for athletes, um, particularly when they're um, towards the end, end of their career? Um. Maybe let me rephrase that. I, I don't think discipline was necessarily the problem before sure. because I, I work tremendously hard yeah. and a lot of players do. But I think it's that, it's that little tunnel from discipline into applying the discipline. Sure. You know, you can, you can find excuses out there in a match situation. Yeah. But when you put all those excuses to the side and really give 
every part of yourself without any kind of you know, worry or, uh, or excuse, that's when the special results come. And I always, I always say your, your sporting life is, say, this, this long. Yeah. Your life life is this long. Sure. The faster you can mature in your life, the more exponentially faster and more success you'll have in your sporting life. I was just going to say, translating it back to someone like Kobe Bryant or even the Williams sisters, do you yeah. see that same kind of um, energy or, or focus in them when, when they're actually approaching things? Well, I see uh, a similar maturity. Yeah. You know, when, when you listen to Kobe, when you listen to Jordan, when you listen yeah. to Rafael Nadal, um, you know, Venus Serena, when you listen to them at 18, 19 years old, they speak as a 35-year-old would. Sure. And having that clarity, I think, is the key. Yeah. Um, but the point is, you're always working on your physical. What are you doing to work on that mental bit? Yeah. You know, are you a competitive person? So when you get back out onto the court, even right now, do you approach uh, the match or the approach your, your practice regimen any differently now that you're, you're not no longer playing professionally in that way? I think I have finally learned to embrace just how competitive I actually am. Yeah. Um, this is going to sound really weird, but speaking from a guy who, very honestly, I'm, I'm very grateful for all of the achievements I had on the tour, but I certainly don't think I achieve my potential. Sure. And probably because I hadn't matured to a certain point mentally or whatever it may be, but I think I'm a lot more competitive now than I was then. <laughs> right. And it depends on what you put it into. For example, physical training is very important to me. I kind of yeah. transformed my body after I left the tour and I'm super competitive in that aspect with myself. When I get yeah. out of the golf course, I'm super competitive because I enjoy it so much. Right. On the tennis court, not so much because now it's, it's purely for fun. Yeah. You know, it's your passion. Uh, it's, it's something that drives you and, and you love the game. And um, perhaps it's a, a slightly different outlook for it than say something else that you're developing more passion for. And you have so many other endeavors and talents um, that I, I'm sure that that gets diversified and, and you probably have a different outlook then based upon those talents and, and endeavors. Yeah, but I think as an athlete, to your point, you always need something to sink it into. That yeah. competitive juice, it never goes away. Yeah. You know, I'll always say I'm, I'll, I enjoy doing what I'm doing now, but I was born an athlete and I will go to my grave an athlete. <laughs> As an athlete, there you go. I, I'm an artist second, I'm all that other stuff second. But, um, but yeah, a lot of players, I actually enjoyed it too, sunk their competitiveness into poker, you right. know, because it's such, it's such mental warfare. So you, you got to get your jollies from somewhere. Okay? You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a short break, we'll come back to my conversation with Prakash Amritraj. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Samika, and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio, the world's largest South Asian radio station. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, and our conversation with Prakash Amritraj as we chat more about mentoring and coaching. You mentioned um, this concept that you've elevated called uh, what's your code and this idea that um, how you actually approach this what's your code question can in fact be a good phrasing and for for the rhythm and cadence of your life and its ups and downs and successes and opportunities um, how much of this has been shaped by your own mentors and coaches and family 
Um, what part of this philosophy do you owe to the people who perhaps coached you or taught you or even indirectly um, affected this, this approach? 98%? Yeah. I'd say it's, it's 2% perspiration and uh, what, was, what was put inside me, but the rest I owe to mentors who I've had the fortunate uh, ability to be with in person and mentors that I haven't been with. Mm. Um, you know, I always say my two greatest heroes on this earth are my father and Muhammad Ali. Yeah. And, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't, you know, pull from both of them. Um, my grandmother, my father's mother, who, you know, was a cornerstone to uh, my father's generation, him and his two brothers and the whole family, you know, becoming the family that they became was, was because of her and uh, yeah. my grandfather standing beside him. You know, I have inspirational stories that come from my mother's father's side. All of these things, um, uh, you know, even if you pull, you know, Kobe's work ethic, um, so many different things, films that, that yeah. are so special to me, all of these things contribute to your code and, and what um, sort of what I want to contribute to this earth before I leave. You know, that's, the, sure. that's kind of the way I look at everything these days. There, yeah. If you trickle down every little thing I do, it goes into one of these bigger goals, which is, you know, leaving something that, that will have a positive effect on others when you leave. When you're sharing this with someone who maybe hasn't heard this philosophy before, or you're trying to leave that imprint, do you also get some um, rich feedback from them? I've talked to a lot of others who are teachers or their mentors. And a lot, of, a lot of them will say that, well, I actually derive a lot of my own, um, you know, philosophy or education from the people that I'm mentoring. I'm learning so much. Has, has that happened to you in this process too? 100%. Um, I have a, uh, uh, I guess you could call her a cousin-in-law. Uh, yeah. My cousin, Stephen Amitraj, who's been in the tennis world for a long time, now on the business side of things. Uh, he married Alison Risk, who is a wonderful female tennis player. Um, she had uh, her best career year on the WTA tour last year. And last year I worked with her on the mental side of things for 12 months. Um, she had worked with, you know, she, she has her coach and her whole team, physio and so forth, but we just stuck to the mental side of things. Yeah. And um, going back and forth with her and getting to know her intimately from an on-court perspective, it, it was just as rewarding for me as it was for her. And being able to see her do so tremendously well. I mean, she had amazing results. She got to the quarters of Wimbledon last year, almost beat Serena on center court, um, finished 16 in the world. And she's arguably the nicest person you'll ever meet. Sure. And then watching when she embraces her code and you see the results she has, but also how she affects in a positive way the boys and girls that get to watch her play. It's such an important aspect, I think, of life. Yeah. I think some people do it without defining it by the words I'm using. Other people yeah. use different words, but it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a really valuable tool in, in this whole thing that we call interaction with each other. Well, and, and that's, that brings me to a different point, which is doing it in person with a, an athlete um, who now you can elevate and bring them to that success, as well as the ripple effect of that, right? For those that she's now also able to, to coach and mentor. So that's a great feeling. You write for GQ India and are able to also share some of these um, thoughts. Is it different when you're actually thinking about it in an abstract way? Or um, is it harder to develop those relationships in that way um, when you're not doing it one-on-one -on -one with somebody else? Um, the, actually, the writing for GQ has been, uh, it's been really rewarding because I'm 
so used to, as you said, doing it one-on-one with someone. Yeah. And it's, it's not that this is, you know, a business that I have or something. I just, you know, a friend might say, hey, listen, I'm writing a book. You know, I could really use, you know, some, some sort of what's your code sessions. If, if they'll call it all sorts of different things. I don't even know what to call it. But we'll just chat, you know, we'll kind of help get in that right mindset for that individual person, you know, and that it's so specific. I mean, what, what moves you will be so different than what moves the next person, sure. you know. Um, but the GQ exercise has been so great because I've tried to translate it almost for uh, macro consumption. So mm. I've talked about it more from a generalized basis, but then use specific examples from how I use it and in my life. And, and the feedback, it really has been, has been tremendous. I wanted to ask you about a piece that I recently saw where um, you described your father's uh, activism um, when he was playing Davis Cup in 74 and at that time boycotting the then uh, South African um, team's presence in the finals. And um, are today's athletes, entrepreneurs, uh, coaches, both coaches in the physical sense and in the psychological sense, um, are, are they more ready than ever to play that sort of expected role of being an active voice uh, for equity and for activism um, as compared to the sort of courage um, that it took for a few athletes um, in your father's generation? Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a lot more welcome now. Yeah. Um, I think it was completely different circumstances before. Um, you know, the incident you talk about, that was, that was the Davis Cup. And at yeah. that point in time, the Davis Cup was, you know, it was, it was as big, if not maybe even bigger than Wimbledon. You know, it was, yeah. it, that was it. I mean, as a, if you ever touched a tennis racket, it was about Davis Cup. And sure. you only talk about the developed nations, you know, USA and Australia. They were the ones who just traded off with the Davis Cup. You didn't think about right. it a third world country, which first of all, professional sport didn't exist. Yeah. DJ ended up being the first professional sportsman to come internationally out of India and so forth. And you have your whole life at stake. It's not like you've put away millions of dollars, all sorts of stuff. I mean, in a, in a way, it's, it's, uh, for me, it's akin to Ali giving up his title as a protest against Vietnam because sure. there's so much at stake. You know, sure, you, can, you, can, you don't need to compare the levels because it's apples and oranges, but for these kids who came out of Madras uh, with, yeah. with not much to their name, this was the chance to not just do well and get this prestigious title, but to actually put India on the world map in, yeah. in such a special way. And this was more important. Now, if, that is, if that's done today, I think you get completely different kind of support. Naomi Osaka decided to forfeit her match in Cincinnati, and you had the USTA, the ATP, and the WTA supporting her. And they canceled play for the entire day. Back then, the ITF didn't do anything. They gave the trophy to South Africa. And, you know, it's it's almost as if you're, you know, supporting the movement at that point. Well, and is that inspiring even more and more younger athletes to pursue the same kind of causes and be as, as active in their voices now because it's that much more welcome, perhaps? The good news is you've seen a lot more athletes do it. Yeah. You know, LeBron is very vocal. Um, a lot more athletes are doing it now, which I love. And the reason I love it, and to answer your question about young children, for me, athletes are something that's very needed in the world mm-hmm. because they literally spend their lives each and every day trying to prove the impossible is possible. 
Mm. So whether it's, you know, a, a, 14 and, a 14 year old kid in a junior tournament who wins a tournament with a completely broken ankle because he somehow finds a way and one other kid watches that, or it's Naomi Osaka doing what she did at the US Open, either way you're inspiring people, whether it's yeah. one or one billion. When you have that kind of a platform and that kind of uh, uh, fame in a certain way, you're not famous just for being famous, you're famous for inspiring, you got a voice that a lot of other people don't have. Right. Well, and, and for youth, um, either in the States or in Europe or in Africa or India, um, anywhere for them, Asia, uh, anywhere for that matter, hopefully they're taking in these messages and being inspired to be not only better athletes, but better people. Um, let me ask you this as uh, sort of a question of, you know, optimism. So for sport and especially tennis, as someone who uh, lives this and is so passionate about it, what's the future for um, tennis and South Asians, particularly um, either in India or abroad? Um, man, I think that goes to a bigger question, not just with tennis, but with sport, which is uh, the mentality of uh, this generation of parents. You yeah. know, I, I think uh, what made my father's family so special was the fact that uh, his parents um, risked everything for a dream that they couldn't see. You mm. know, her, her uh, father, my father's grandfather, had a dream that one of the grandchildren would one day play at Wimbledon. Wow. Let, let alone my father end up playing so well at it. Yeah. And they literally, everyone in town, everyone in the country said my grandmother was completely crazy. Yeah. She literally started a box manufacturing company so she could afford lessons for the children. And you know, a person like that would be mad. Today, they're a lot less mad because yeah. there's, a, there's a tangible dream you can actually go after. I still think there needs to be a shift from the only thing okay for South Asian parents is going to school, uh, an A- minus is not acceptable, it's only A's, you have right. to become a doctor or an engineer because that pays the most in the most stable format and you move on. I think that needs to expand. We're seeing more sure. South Asians in entertainment. Entertainment is so important for moving the culture forward, yeah. for equality. People still look to entertainment or are influenced by entertainment. So if you can do that in an honest way, that's important. If you can inspire from sport, that's important. So look, our generation now, uh, we're probably you know, not too far off for, uh, in age. Our generation is a lot more open. You know, yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to be more open with our kids and hopefully that'll continue. And when that continues, I think that's really going to be the big difference. Can you allow your child to go chase greatness? Yeah. You know, if you don't, then he can't put in the practice hours and give himself a shot. Well, for um, lots of people who are listening to your messages and voice as an author, as a entrepreneur, as a producer uh, in entertainment, as a commentator and as an athlete, uh, I'm sure they're listening and they're being inspired. Um, Prakash, it's been so amazing to connect with you today. Um, we're grateful for you chatting. I hope we'll, you'll come back and, and join us sometime soon. I, I love that. Um, I love the topics you talk about. I'm so glad you're doing this with so many people. And to your point, we, we need voices like you getting, getting all of these different stories out there. So appreciate what you do, Ave. Thank you. This is Siva 
and you're listening to my brand new single, Ready For This Love, on Ruckus Avenue Radio.